Hi, my name is Jack, and you're listening to Kita, a podcast about us and the stories we're sometimes afraid to tell each other. Twice a month, we feature the work of writers, artists, and storytellers, recorded and produced at the Renegade Radio Studio, and published here, wherever you're listening to this. What's your scariest memory, listener? Some time ago, I was studying at a university in Samunye. It's a pretty small town. Dark roads, not enough streetlights, and I was driving back to campus at night in a car full of my friends. All of a sudden, this big black animal, I thought it was a dog, it jumped out in front of the car. And because my headlights weren't very strong, I didn't see it until it was too late. Somehow I'd gotten it into my head that this dog was so big that if I hit it with my car, it would cause some kind of accident. And so at the last second, I swerved out of the way. I was going too fast. And with four or five people in it, the car was too heavy. I felt the wheels skidding beneath me. And when I tried to turn the steering wheel in the opposite direction, my car started spinning out of control. Everything outside the car turned into a blur. It felt like time slowed down. And I remember thinking to myself, good job, Jack. Everyone here is going to die. And it's all because of you. By the time we stopped, the car was on a clearing on the side of the road, facing traffic in the opposite direction. A few meters up ahead or to the left, and we would have smashed into the metal divider or rolled downhill into a ditch. The stupid thing about all of this was that when my friends asked me about why I swerved, I tried to explain that I saw a big black dog on the road. And it turned out that it was just a cat. Small. Tiny. I could have gone straight ahead without slowing down and probably wouldn't have hit it at all. I drove everyone to their dorms, and by the time I got into bed that night, my hands were still shaking. I couldn't stop thinking about how close we were to getting seriously hurt, or worse, and how it was all my fault. For months and months after that, I would have these nightmares. I would be driving, and suddenly my arms would go numb, and my car would weave in between traffic as I struggled to regain control. It always ended in a crash, and then I jolt awake. (laughs) It felt to me like I was being haunted by the ghost of a dog that was never even real, and that makes me more scared than anything. I still dream about it sometimes. This week, just in time for Halloween, we'll be listening to people who talk about what makes them afraid. A father tells his daughter a bedtime story. A young woman goes to a family reunion. And a mysterious man does anything for the perfect cup of coffee. Today's episode, Fear. A story about them. They come to you in sleep, he said. Claws that dig in deep, she said. My darling child, he turned his head and hustled her back into bed. We do not speak, he held his breath. Of terrors from beneath, he said. Dark lands with suns that only show a deathless light we've never known. Just what is it you do not get? When Papa called, he spoke with dread. 
the darling child she would not let, bone white claws into her head. She called for father, but he said, I'll seize your tongue from your pretty head. If you don't see, then you are dead. They come to you in sleep, he said. A scared old man who would not help, for through the windows past bookshelves, she watched his eyes as he looked out at shadows coming out of clouds. The monsters came in twos and threes, those from the soil and from the sea, whistling through their hideous teeth, singing like a swarm of bees, ripping through the summer breeze, elder gods beneath elder trees. And daughter dear has never slept, not once in anguish, not once in rest. After the dreams was the endless death, they came to you in sleep, it said. A story about you. Take a deep breath, for there is nothing you can do. Your wings are wet, and everything is so far away from you. The ceiling is the sky, is the clouds, is the light bulb, and today is not the day you thought you would die. A brown raisin in a bowl of milk you tested your tiny feet on. A stupid fate when you think about it. Scored only by the lonely clicking of a keyboard in a room that longs for human sin. The college student named Ambrose, swathed in his grandfather's wartime sweater, looks down at you, trying to meet your infinite eyes, and wonders if you will even know it. He plucks you, and at this moment, you feel like a flower. There's warmth in his palm, the kind of warmth you don't mind dying in, and, looking up at him, wonder if he will even know it. In your last moments, you long for the sun. There it is on his desk, a mocking yellow circle. He touches it, but it's dimmer, colder. You wish your brother was here now. I'm only interested in the end of the world, I replied. I don't remember where I was when the sun went out, but I remember we were holding hands. I remember the sound of violins, a concerto finale from one of the greats. I don't remember the names of the long dead composers and no one ever will again. I remember for the first time in my life, I learned that burning had a sound. I remember how human it was. I remember thinking of violins instead. I remember your face was shining. There were stars in your eyes. Then there were stars on your cheeks, stars on your palms, your collarbones dissolved and beneath it, stars. I remember everything was shining that day. And if I should think of anything after that moment, I'm sorry, my star. I will not remember you anymore. 
I just can't. Coffee and cream. You're always under the sun, right? Exercise a lot? Anna's with auntie said, grinning. Not really, mumbled Anna. Swimming right! Yeah, my friend's kids are just like yours. Very cute, but a bit too dark. Should have stayed indoors more. Anna nodded silently, too exasperated to correct fifth auntie. Why did fifth auntie always have to assume that she did something to her skin? She bowed her head again to avoid eye contact, but fifth auntie did not seem to get the signal and shoved a plastic cup with white liquid in front of Anna's face instead. Here, have some soya milk. No thank you, fifth auntie. Why not? It's good for you! Anna shook her head stubbornly and heard fifth auntie click her tongue moments later. You kids these days only want to drink expensive coffee all the time. Your frappuccinos and whatever chinos so unhealthy. See, what happens when you drink too much? Become dark, huh? Fifth auntie wiggled her eyebrows at Anna and laughed. Anna wondered if people commented on fifth auntie's protruding front teeth the same way fifth auntie made fun of Anna's skin colour. Would fifth auntie laugh if someone called her a beaver? But your mom and dad are fine though. They both look like normal Chinese. Fifth auntie continued. Maybe your mother just drank too much coffee when she was pregnant with you? Hiya. Anna turned away allowing the sound of the other relatives' conversations to fill her head. Why would Fifth Auntie say that? She had always been blunt, and her baseless accusations had scarred Anna once again. Anna shut her eyes and inhaled deeply. Anna, my dear, it's just a joke! Fifth Auntie's cold fingers gripped Anna's. She was about to pull away, but fifth auntie's tight grasp kept her in place. Eyebrows furrowed, Anna turned to look at her and felt a lump forming in her throat when she saw the forced, red-lipped smile on the older woman's face. Lighten up la! <laughs> fifth auntie's shrill laughter rang through Anna's ears like noisy cymbals during the lion dance performance. Anna leapt up from the sofa and stumbled towards the bathroom at the back of the narrow hall. The plastic door rattled as Anna swung it open and stepped inside the tiny damp space. She jabbed the metal button on the doorknob and turned it twice to make sure that it was locked. Leaning against the tiled wall, Anna hid her face in her hands and sobbed quietly. She was worried that fifth auntie would barge in and tell her to stop overreacting. Words like ugly duckling and brownie swirled in her head while Anna wondered how she would face everyone later on. She reached into her black handbag and rummaged around, looking for a handkerchief. 
Suddenly, her fingers brushed against a little glass bottle. Fifth Auntie had given her this as a Christmas present last year. Anna had almost slung it into the dustbin the moment she ripped the wrapping paper off, but decided to keep it instead. She squeezed some of the opaque liquid on her palms. Her reflection stared back at her in the dirty mirror as she dotted her swollen face with specks of foundation. Minutes later, Anna tried to smile. Her face was now covered in a new layer of patchy, unnatural... skin. The foundation was two shades lighter than her actual skin tone, making her look like a wannabe Chinese opera singer. The corners of her lips curled upwards, but she shuddered when Fifth Auntie's words trampled through her thoughts again. Smile, dear! You look better when you're happy, even if your face isn't beautiful. The creamy liquid stuck to her skin like the taunt she had never been able to shake off. But Anna took a deep breath, swung the bathroom door open, and marched out. Her heart felt like a ball of exploding fireworks while a mandarin orange-like lump formed in her throat. She inched towards the grey sofa where Fifth Auntie was seated until the older woman's nose almost poked into her chest. Fifth Auntie looked up and gasped. Girl, what is this? Fifth Auntie's dark eyebrows were tightly furrowed like storm clouds, but Anna was beaming. Tears rolled down her powdery cheeks, exposing a darkness that would finally get to see the light of day. The Art of the Brew Hi there. I apologize for bothering you while you're enjoying a cup of our signature white coffee. I took the liberty of inquiring about your order before approaching you. I hope you're not weirded out by that. Oh, there's nothing to be worried about. I'm actually with management, and this is part of our new initiative to engage with customers and get some feedback on our services. It's Public Relations 101, but you'd be surprised how many people take this exercise for granted. I'm sorry, I'm just going on and on without even bothering to introduce myself. I'm Aaron. It's nice to meet you, George. How do I know you're... Well, I like to think that I'm quite good at my job, but it also helps that you've been coming here quite regularly these past few weeks. That's actually the reason why I'm here, George. Your frequent visits has actually made management quite fond of you. So they sent me here, today, to just sit down and have a quick chat with you. But I digress. See, George, the thing is... Mind if I join you? So, before I continue, I'd like to first thank you for your patronage to our little cafe, tucked away in this industrial area. Personally, between you and me, I was worried that this location would be our downfall. But you know what? We've actually been getting ravenous word-of-mouth recommendations from customers and food bloggers. They single out our white coffee using words like sublime and transcendent. But let's get back to you. I found out something interesting about you from our barista. 
Apparently you sometimes have a few cups of our white coffee in the same visit. Well, I'm honored that you love this particular blend so much. I'm going to share a little secret with you. You see, we roast our own coffee beans and we take pride in the process. Our blend is different from anything else you can find out there because each blend has its own unique recipe and a special ingredient. And for this particular blend, the one that's been a part of your cup these past few weeks, I was involved in every step of the process. It's been an eye-opening experience in more ways than you realize. And you, George, you look like someone who knows his coffee. I can see it from the way you enjoy the aroma, the way you slowly savor every sip. The quiet joy on your face is a jolt of euphoria to each and every one of us. That's why I have a special offer for management as a token of our gratitude. It's an offer for you to join us in our next blend. I know, I know. This isn't at all what you expected when you came in. You wanted solitude, and yet here I am. But we don't approach just anyone, you see. This invitation comes after a lengthy process of careful observation and vetting. Having gone through this myself, I can tell you that this offer does not come lightly. I can see that you're still hesitant. It's quite understandable. Believe me, I felt the same way when I was first approached by management. In fact, I gave them the same look that you're now giving me. Would it help if I shared my experience with you? And in exchange for your ears, a cup of our white coffee on the house? Maybe two. So, how about it? See, you remind me of myself, back when I was just a visitor to this cafe. I even sat in the same place you're sitting now. My offer from management was made just like yours, but there wasn't any hesitation on my part. I jumped at the opportunity to be part of the inner circle. I was told to prepare for an interview in a week's time. It was set to coincide with the start of a new roasting cycle for a new shipment of beans. If I made it through, they wanted me to join in from the very beginning of the cycle and be part of the journey every step of the way. I studied as much as I could about the roasting process. The anticipation was almost unbearable at times. It wasn't long before the enthusiasm turned into an obsession. See, I was just an armchair enthusiast before that meeting. I would spout bits of trivia to impress idiots who couldn't differentiate an Italian roast from an American roast. It was my own little attempt to stand apart from the sheer mediocrity of life. But the offer, it felt different. For some reason, I wanted them to know that my passion was real. I wanted to... No, I needed to nail the interview. I became a living, breathing coffee encyclopedia. I could effortlessly talk about the yellowing of the coffee beans and the importance of the first crack. I could tell you with utmost confidence the best oil for preparing Vietnamese coffee and the exact moment to stop the roasting process. But the interview, it ended up being a test of character and passion. They wanted to know how much I was willing to go to achieve perfection. They wanted me to understand how serious they were about achieving 
the perfect brew. This wasn't just work for them. This was their reason for being. The interview was held here, in this very cafe. The representative who first approached me was accompanied by a slightly older gentleman with graying hair, impeccable tailoring and posture. He looked calm, composed, dangerous. Imagine the rush you get from having the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. He asked me to take a seat across from them. Both of them kept quiet and shuffled some papers around. The air was thick with silence. And then the gentleman spoke. So, his voice was rich and deep, a jolt to your senses, a shot of espresso straight into your veins. I stammered, yes? He looked right at me. There was no way I could keep myself from staring into his bright blue eyes. My colleague here feels that you'd be the perfect candidate to help us roast our next blend. I'm not so sure. I could feel my blood turning to ice. Excuse me? We take our coffee seriously. Some might say that our methods are extreme, but I beg to differ. I'm sure you understand the quality of our coffee. You know I'm not joking when I say that we place the utmost importance in the preparation of each cup. I mumbled in agreement. I was trying really hard not to offend him. I didn't want to jeopardize the opportunity. The representative never spoke a word. She just rifled through papers with a look of boredom. I kept my eyes on the gentleman. Cold sweat slowly rolling down my back. He took a card out of his breast pocket and placed it in front of me. I picked it up. It only had an address. Do you know where this is? I do. There will be a test. Be there tomorrow at 10 p.m. Or not. Your choice. This was something I hadn't anticipated. Okay, I replied. I didn't know what else to say. I still held the card. When he got up and held out his hand, I quickly stood up and shook it. His grip, it was amazing. It signaled conviction, firm, but not painful. I had 24 hours to make a decision. I didn't realize then that it'd be the most important decision I ever made. You finished your cup. As promised, another one. On the house, of course. Where was I? Ah, yes. Here's where it gets interesting. 10 p.m. As promised, the meeting point was at the end of a long row of empty shop lots. At a mall that always gave me the creeps. Only a few restaurants and overpriced kopitiam and some no-brand supermarket kept it from becoming a dead monument to a development boom that ended almost as quickly as it began. It was the last place I expected to be especially this late. The gentleman greeted me with the same firm handshake. No words after that. He just motioned me to follow him. We walked deeper into the mall. I was scared, I won't deny that. But I was also intrigued. A voice at the back of my head pushed me to keep going. Come too far, it said. It'd be a shame to turn back now. We eventually exited the mall and kept walking. 
The surrounding area looked abandoned, darkness in our immediate vicinity, except for the light coming from a small building in front of us. It seemed to float in the darkness. I could hear the steady hum of machinery coming from inside the building. I didn't know what to expect anymore. I was bracing myself. We stopped outside the building. The gentleman knocked on the door twice and took a step back. He was standing right beside me. There was nothing else happening. Only the hum of machinery and a light breeze that slowly crept up on us. Scared? He asked. A bit, not really. I'm not sure? I didn't really know what to say. Perhaps, dear lord, where are you taking me? Might have been a more appropriate response. But I still wanted to make a good impression. He just looked straight ahead, never once turning my way. And yet, you still came. I wanted to reply. When the door opened and a golden light filled my view, the hum of machinery immediately became a roar, and the fragrance of roasted coffee beans filled my senses. I was overwhelmed. I couldn't stop myself from being pulled into the building by two pairs of hands. You look worried. We are nearing the end. Everything will be all right. It took a while to adjust to the lights and the smell. I found myself seated. In front of me were four people. The gentleman and the representative and two others I'd never seen before. A tall, lanky man and a petite girl who looked like she was still in high school. The girl was the first to speak. This is him? The lanky man looked at me intently. He looks delicious, he said, as he licked his lips. The gentleman was looking at a folder. I was still seated there, disoriented, shivering, scared. I looked around, trying to make sense of it all. The room was filled with industrial-sized coffee roasters. The air was warm and thick with the fragrance of coffee. I could feel it on my skin, a dense layer of mist that covered every orifice. It was suffocating. I wanted air. I needed to get out. He spoke. Why are you here? I was confused. I thought you asked me to come here. He was still looking at the folder. No, I gave you a choice. You could be at home now, safe and content, but you are here. Why? I wanted to be part of your team. Why? I want to learn how to make good coffee. That's no reason to be in a dodgy part of the city at such an hour. He snapped the folder shut and looked at me. Ah, those bright blue eyes. Again, why are you here? I don't... This test only has one question. This is your only chance. Why are you here? I... He took a step forward. Another, why are you here? He was now so close I could feel his breath. It gave me chills. 
regret and anticipation all at once. I whispered loudly while looking at the floor. I want to know. What do you want to know? I... I looked at him, determined it was time. I want to know your secret, the secret of your coffee. And then he smiled. It was the most beautiful smile I've ever seen in my life. I would go to the ends of the earth for that smile. And you will. With that, he stepped away from me. The lanky man rubbed his hands together. The girl cheered. The representative appeared as bored as ever. I was pulled up. The lanky man gently gripped my left shoulder, and the girl held my right arm. I was still disoriented, but I followed them so willingly. I could only look as the gentleman waved me off. I could still hear his last words. Good luck. The two of them led me to a table laid up with all kinds of weird contraptions. There were beakers, measuring cups, Bunsen burners, saucers, pans, tools I'd never seen before. Some looked complicated. Some looked dangerous. None made sense to me at the time. A document was placed in front of me, and I was handed a small pocket knife. Oh, don't worry. It's nothing menacing. Just a standard employment contract. I was about to deal with company secrets after all. I looked around the table for a pen. Excuse me, where's the pen? The lanky man patted me on the back. Oh dear, you don't need a pen. This is more than enough. He took the pocket knife, opened it up, extended my thumb, and made a quick slash at the tip. I yelped in pain and quickly pulled my thumb away. He tut-tutted me, pulled my thumb back, and pressed it on the document. A bloody fingerprint, proof of employment. It was official. There, he bellowed. You're now one of us. While the lanky man was celebrating and fawning over me, the girl quietly crept up behind me with a mallet. She landed a blow right square on my back while shouting, Welcome to the family, at the top of her lungs. So cheeky. I heard something crack. I slumped forward onto the table, completely paralyzed, my whole body screaming in agony, but I couldn't move, I couldn't speak, couldn't even breathe properly anymore. But I could still see what was going on. The lanky man now had the mallet. He raised it high above my head and said, we're going to have so much fun together. He swung the mallet down as hard as he could. The thing is, George, white coffee is made by adding margarine during the roasting process. You end up with a thin but even coating to each coffee bean, resulting in a luxurious, creamy taste in every cup. But we had to take it further. Any two-bit hipster could pull this off. 
charge an unsuspecting schmuck 15 ringgit a cup and call it a day. No, no. That won't do. A cup of coffee is only as good as the person who makes it. And what better way to achieve perfection than to be a part of the coffee? That's what management did. That's how they cracked the code. Oh, it's not as nearly as bad as it sounds. It's actually... Oh, leaving so soon? I'm sure you've noticed by now that you have difficulty getting up. You could try calling for help, but as you can see, the cafe has been empty for quite some time. You... you thought you had a choice in this matter. Oh, I do apologize for giving you the wrong impression. Don't worry. I'll personally see to it that you're given the best possible treatment. I'll let you get some rest. You have a long journey ahead of you after all. But before I go, since we'll be working together, I must ask... How do I taste? You just heard The Art of the Brew, written by Ganesh Devaraj and read to you by Jeff Kay. Ganesh is a writer based in Kuala Lumpur. He's part of Pulp Toast, a collective of Malaysian and Singaporean writers who produce an annual anthology of urban speculative fiction. He's also part of Prozac, that's ACK spelled A-C-K, a collective of storytellers from Kuala Lumpur and Petaling Jaya. On this episode, you heard Coffee and Cream, written by Eugenie Tan and performed by Kim Chi Lai. Eugenie is a writer, translator, and creative writing graduate. At the beginning of this episode, you heard Aishwarya Adaikalaraj read three poems. They are A Story About Them, A Story About You, and I'm Only Interested in the End of the World, I replied. Aishwarya is a writer who says that she can't find her seat in this reality, so she'll catch you in the next one. Today's episode was produced by Sylvia Wong, Russell Sim, with senior producer Jeff Kay. It was curated by Nadia Zahiro and me. Our theme song and additional scoring was composed by Russell Sim. You can find his work on Spotify. Our logo was designed by Kimberly Wong. If you're interested in submitting your work to us, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by searching The Kita Podcast. Kita is a proud member of the Renegade Radio Network. I'm Lim Jekin. Thanks for listening. And hey, maybe think about what makes you afraid. Have a good day. If you'd like to find out more, check out our website link in the episode description and show notes.